Welcome to Heritage Fellowship's Sermon of the Week. We hope you're encouraged and challenged as we study the Word of God together. Matthew chapter 8, and we're going to be in verses 23 through 27. Uh, if you had some notes, or if you, if you got some notes, you can pull those notes out. Um, if you didn't, that's fine. You can take notes on your phone or just listen. Um, but... This is a good one. I love this story. Um, and I felt like there was quite a bit that the Lord was telling me. Um, I was reworking some of the sermon last night, and I may or may not have had like five chocolate chip cookies like while I was working on it. It's no big deal, um, but I'm still feeling the anointing today because of those cookies. They were silo cookies. Anybody have the, the Magnolia Home silo cookies? Yeah? You know what I'm talking about? If you know, you know. They're so good. Um, but I really love this story, and I think I've, I've, ha- I've done a message on this story um, probably two or three times in the past and really just felt like the Lord pulling something really different from what I've normally spoken on with the, the scriptures um, for, the, for today, for this morning. So um, I think it's going to be good. Um, if it's not, you can blame the cookies. That would be great. And email Jim and ask him about CrossFit. It'd be great. All right. Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. Just before we jump in, last week we talked about the, um, the miracles and then the cost of following. We talked about Jesus going and doing all the miracles. Remember, he started at Peter's mother-in-law's started with Peter's mother-in-law, healed her, then everybody brought their sick, healed them. Um, And then he tells his disciples as a large crowd is gathered, hey, we've got to get in a boat and go to the other side, which seems kind of weird. Like you've got a crowd there, Jesus. Like why wouldn't you just stay? This be your home base. You stay here and you do your work. But he knew that he had to go and bring the message to other places. And before he got on the boat, he has two people that come up and, and talk to him and they say, hey, let me follow you, Jesus, to the first man who was a scribe. And, and he says, hey, foxes have dens, bird have, birds have nests, but the Son of God has no place to lay his head. And then another person comes and says, hey, let me follow you, but let me first go, go bury my father. And we talked about the context of that and all that went with that. But Jesus replies to him, let the, let the dead bury the dead. And so he draws on the commitment. He just just saw the miracles of Jesus. And and then you're moved into the commitment to Jesus to get in the boat and to go to the other side. And here in these, these verses, we have Jesus in the boat with his disciples going to the other side. So this is what it says. Matthew chapter eight, verse 23. If you're there, say, yeah. If you're ready, say, come on with it. All right. Verse 23. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? O you of little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea 
obey him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much that it's real, it's right, and it's true, and it is, an, it is authoritative. Lord, it can tell us what to do. And Lord, we just say that we give it the opportunity to do that this morning. So Lord, change us, search us, find any way that may be offensive towards your spirit in us and begin to do a work of transformation in our lives and in our hearts. We love you so much. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Nice. So... Jesus said, let's go to the other side, verse 23, and the, disciple, the disciples followed him to the boat. Let me just take a minute. Um, can you think of a place that is, that's familiar to you? A place that's really familiar. Maybe it's a place that like you go to unwind, right? Um, it's a place that you feel very comfortable um, it's, it's a place or maybe a, an event that you are so comfortable with it that you feel comfortable teaching somebody else about it, okay? So maybe, um, maybe for you that's, that's working on cars in your garage, uh, maybe that's for you that's working out at the gym, um, maybe for you that is, um, I don't know, Alan planting trees, I'm, I'm not sure, um, like just bird watching, bird watching, I'm telling you all of Alan's hobbies now, camping, Trees, bird watching, they all go together. He can do all of them at the same time. It's fantastic. Um, but can you think of a familiar place? A place that you would go, maybe you've got a certain spot at your house. Early in the morning, you get up, you have your cup of coffee, you sit in that chair or on that couch, and you begin your quiet time in the morning where the Lord is just, he is unloading to you. It's amazing, right? We have those places of familiarity and and those are really, really good. For me, um, it's a certain place on the river here. It's the Holston River, and um, I'm originally from Ohio, grew up fishing. We moved here. One of my bosses taught me how to fly fish, and so I've been doing it ever since. It's amazing. I love it. And so this certain spot is the spot where I took Easton, and he caught his first trout. Um, this is a spot where I've taken students this is a spot where I've taken leaders. This is a spot where I've had amazing conversations about the Lord. This is a spot where I've written sermons and I've prayed prayers. And it's a spot that like I can go and I can teach somebody about the Lord or I can teach somebody about the different riffles and where, where fish are. And so it's a spot that I feel super comfortable with. Actually, most recently I went with Brian Stiles and it was amazing. Uh, we were in the river and he fell completely under. I looked over and Brian was gone. And I got nervous for a second, and I thought, oh no, Shani. But then he was okay. He emerged. It was awesome. It was awesome. Full of water in his waders. It was amazing. He also hooked into like the biggest trout I've ever seen, but it got away. And every time I tell the story, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It just, it has to. That's how it works. But this is a spot that I'm super familiar and I'm super confident in. And, and this is how the disciples would have felt. They're getting into a boat to go to the other side. This is the Sea of Galilee, and we know at least four of the disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, are all fishermen. Some scholars believe that up to seven of the disciples were fishermen. They would have been very comfortable getting in this boat and traveling to the other side. Actually, the boat was probably one of the disciples. So they get in this boat, they know the waterway. They know how the boat works. They know how long the trip's going to take. They are familiar with this situation. 
So familiar, in fact, that it says Jesus gets in the boat, goes to the front of the boat, rests his head on a pillow, and takes a nap. Everything is so good. We have confidence in the familiar. It's not a bad thing. Actually, it's one of the ways that we build confidence is is through experience. I've seen this before. I've been here before. I've been through this before. I've had this conversation before. I've prayed this prayer before and the Lord worked in my life. They were familiar with the situation and so there's so many places where we have familiarity with the situation as well. And we feel comfortable in that arena. This boat that the disciples would have gotten in would have been a very common boat to the fishermen of Galilee in ancient Israel. Uh, about 16 people could have fit in this boat. Um, this boat would have had oars. It also would have a, have a mast and sails. Um, and it would have been open, but in the front, there would have been a spot where you could lay down because oftentimes the fishermen would be out all night using drag nets to catch fish like sardines and tilapia. And the Sea of Galilee, interestingly enough, is the lowest freshwater lake in the world. This Bible facts, it kind of nerded out a little bit when I read that one. Nearly 600 feet below sea level with mountains surrounding it. So it kind of sat down in this like bowl. And because of the low-lying geography of the Sea of Galilee... It made the temperatures like pretty consistent throughout the year. In the winters, it would have been around 57 degrees as an average. But also during the fall and the spring season, there was kind of this wind tunnel that through the mountains came some cool air off of the Mediterranean and it would mix with the warm air of the Sea of Galilee and you'd get these pop-up storms that would come out of nowhere. Actually, it was interesting. I was reading a scholar and he actually compared the Sea of Galilee to Lake Erie. I spent a considerable amount of time on Lake Erie being from Ohio. And it's interesting, and not because of the, how big it was. The Sea of Galilee was much smaller than Lake Erie. But because of the depth and the way that storms would pop up, that you would get similar water conditions between both lakes. And it made me think about this time I went out with my uncle and we were fishing and we were out in the middle, like we were out so far that you could not see land on either side. You look back, you couldn't see Ohio. You looked forward, you could not see Canada. So we're just kind of out there in this tiny little bass boat, right? And the waves aren't that bad, right? I thought they were bad. He's like, no, no big deal. And, but they were coming over the side of the boat, right? Like my feet were getting wet sitting in the back. And I'm like, ah. I don't know. He's like, oh, it's fine. The, the boat, it, it's like, it self-bails. I'm like, where? How does that work? Like, I don't, we're going down, and this is like, perch are not worth it. Like, they are tiny fish, right? And I'm freaking out. But those waves weren't bad at all. And actually, it, it, in the Sea of Galilee, if a storm would have kicked up, that would not have been uncommon for those waves to reach seven feet tall in a lake very easily would have swamped the boat, and that's what was happening in this situation. Verse 24, and behold, there arose a great storm so that the boat was being swamped. This isn't just a large storm. It's a catastrophic storm. It's, it's a storm that very quickly took the disciples 
many of who are fishermen into this place where it's like, oh my goodness, this is a bad situation that keeps getting worse. And very quickly, familiar confidence slid into new terror. Familiar confidence slid into new terror. And this may have been the reason, like, it, like it, they did not wake up Jesus until they were in despair. And we'll look at that word here in a second. But it may have been like, you ever been in a situation, like, right? You're lost. Your wife knows you're lost. You're like, no, I'm fine. And you just keep getting more lost and more lost and more lost. And you're trying to end up in Florida and you end up like over in Louisiana. That's never happened to me, by the way. It's not from experience. But you, like, because you're like, I got this, I know what I'm doing, you get more lost and more lost, and the situation gets worse and worse and worse because of this false confidence that you have in yourself. Yeah, but nobody? Me? Cool. I'm the only one? That's fine. That's why I'm preaching the message. <laughs> but they were familiar with the boat, they had a handle on the boat. They knew what the boat could do, they knew how to weather storms, but not. This one. How often do even seasoned followers of Jesus come undone in new situations that we have not been in before? I mean, COVID's a perfect example. People that have been following Jesus for a long time. They love him. There is no doubt that they love him. They have a relationship with him. But man, something about 2020 just, spent, just sent us all spinning. And what we felt like we had a handle on, we, we, we were shaken. The storm got worse. It got way worse. It got worse than we'd ever seen. And now we find ourselves in a situation where it's not as familiar as we thought it was. And familiarity, confidence in the familiar, slips into a new terror, and it's like, oh my gosh, how did we get here? What's going on? Maybe you've never felt like that before. Can I, be, can I be honest? Like, I've felt like that in 2020. Moving into 2021. Especially when, right? Let me think about this for the disciples. A very quickly familiar confidence slid into the new terror. How often do even the seasoned followers of Jesus come undone in a new situation that we have not been in before? Especially when Jesus is so close but he isn't doing anything. He's just sleeping in the boat, seemingly. Jesus, you stick closer than a brother. Man, I could use a friend right now. Jesus, you work it all for the good of those that love you, and I love you, but man, where's the good? God, you're all powerful, and I'm praying. Where's the power? Where's the answered prayer? The disciples just came from miracle after miracle after miracle. 
And Matthew, the author of this, actually takes the this, this section of, of Scripture right before this. He's this setting it up as wannabe disciples and true disciples that followed him into the boat, right? They're committed. They're going to get in the boat. They've seen miracle after miracle after miracle. And just three verses later, we see them in despair. Verse 25, and, and they went and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. Mark's account of this same situation in 438 says this, do you not even care that we are perishing? Puts a bit more emphasis to it, right? See, the plea of the disciples indicates that they understand Jesus to be powerful enough to turn, to turn the situation when they cannot control their own fate right? They, they at least go to Jesus. It's not like they went down in the boat and Jesus is still sleeping. The disciples have faith, but it's not functioning properly. Or maybe a better way to say it is that Jesus is, he's getting it to go deeper. He's wanting it to go deeper. And I wonder, like I wonder about this, I wonder I wonder if this verse would be a bit different if the storm began to pop up, the disciples saw it in the distance, they went and woke up Jesus, said, hey Jesus, I'm a little unsettled right now, there's a storm over there in the east, I don't know if it's a thing, but it might be a thing, like some of the guys are a little uneasy, like could you wake up, like can we all pray together? I wonder if it would have been a little bit different in that situation but maybe it was because of the familiarity that they did not wait until it was too far gone. I got this. It's fine. Can, can you see Peter saying that? I got Andrew. Shh, I got it, man. Just row the oar, dude. We're fine. They weren't fine. They needed Jesus. The word perishing, it's in your notes, but the word perishing, the, the Greek word for perishing means this, to be fully destroyed. It implies permanent and absolute destruction. This word perishing is not just, hey, I'm a little uneasy. I'm getting a little seasick. It's, there is no hope. We're going down. Wake up Jesus so he can swim with us. It's all, like, this is how it ends. That's what that word perishing implies. No hope. They have lost all hope. Fear has gripped their bodies, and their last resort was to wake Jesus. And Jesus, he rebukes them. But this is interesting. How often do we not even get to the rebuke in our own life? I don't know about you, but I've read this verse a lot before, and, and usually I'll read it as, them darn disciples. Jeez, guys, just have a little faith. But in reality, there is beauty in the rebuke. There is transformation that happens in the rebuke. 
them being so fraught with despair, going to Jesus and saying, Jesus, don't you even care? We're about to perish. Gives an opportunity for a conversation that leads to undoubtedly transformation in their lives. But I think sometimes, like, myself included, like me and you, we're in the same boat. (laughs) Sometimes we never get to the rebuke because we're never honest about the despair. I, I could not admit that I'm feeling like that. Because what would others think of me? What would Jesus think of me? He rebuked the disciples. He just rebuked me too. And that puts me on the bad list. They did not cease being disciples after they were rebuked. When Jesus tells Peter, get behind me, Satan, he's still the rock that he's going to plant the church on. Right? Doesn't take it away. The disciples have a conversation out loud, but sometimes this is a conversation that happens in our head. It happens in our minds. How often do we feel that emotion of despair or that emotion of angst and, of, and instead of moving towards Jesus because maybe we're ashamed of feeling that way, that we just self-medicate the issue with some more scrolling or some more Netflix or some other escapist behavior. We cannot be afraid of the rebuke. We can't be afraid of the rebuke. And listen, I'm just like, like the rebuke needed to happen. Don't, don't hear me saying that it didn't or don't hear me minimizing it, but we have to get away from the stigma that says I'm gonna avoid the rebuke because I don't wanna make Jesus mad at me or I don't want my image to be tarnished or I don't want people to think that I have little faith. We can't be afraid of the Rebuke. The rebuke invites us to be gut-level honest with Jesus. How do you hear this phrase? You of little faith. What does that trigger in you? You of little faith. How do you handle correction in your life? Or maybe how has correction been modeled in your life maybe you grew up where correction it wasn't done in love but it was done with like fierce hard anger so you avoided it at all costs i don't want to be corrected i'm not going to ask that i'm not going to say that i'm not going to do that because i know what happens when correction really comes Jesus' correction, Jesus' rebuke always comes with love and care and grace and truth. But it always comes with the intention of developing something good in you. It never 
comes to destroy. A rebuke from Jesus never comes to destroy you or condemn you. It comes to convict you and lift you higher and lets you know that you are supremely loved. We are invited to be gut-level honest with Jesus, and in turn, we invite him to be gut-level honest with us. Listen, there's, there's no mistake, there was an issue of fear that Jesus had to address. Jesus' phrase, you of little faith, that phrase is one word in the Greek, and it means this, someone dull to hearing the Lord's voice or disinterested in walking intimately with him. In that moment, Jesus saying, you have little faith. He's saying, hey, listen, you, you lost focus. You've become distracted. You needed to wake me up earlier. I'm still in your boat. I'm still right here with you. And I want to walk intimately with you. Every step of the way and every emotion on the way. See, it's, 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 as, it's as if he was saying, this moment is key for you to walk faithfully with me. That you will face storms even when I'm in the boat. Say that one again. You will face storms even if I'm in the boat. Jesus being in the boat did not mean that the storm wouldn't come. You as a follower of Jesus does not mean bad things won't happen to you, but it does mean you'll have someone always with you. You will face troubles even when you're with me, even when you're serving me, even when you're living for me, even when you're loving me, even when you're loving others in my name. But take heart, for I have overcome the world, John 16. In this life, you'll have troubles. That's like guaranteed. You ever, like, wouldn't that be awesome? Like, Jim, wouldn't that be awesome if we did connect class like that? In this life, you'll have troubles. Go ahead and sign your name right here. It's a party of troubles. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. You of little faith is not the opposite of well done, good and faithful servant. You of little faith is not the opposite of well done, and good, well done, good and faithful servant. It's a necessary step along the way. There will be moments in your life will Jesus will need to come and rebuke and he'll need to say, hey, 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 you have little faith. Hey, this situation, you have little faith. And we cannot let that be a bad definer of us, but we can let it be a necessary step along the way what we need to be a faithful follower of Jesus to do a good job, well done, faithful servant.
You have little faith is not the opposite of well done, good and faithful servant. So Jesus, to give them a clearer view of who he is, he stands and rebukes the sea. In Mark, he actually says, he actually says these words, peace be still. So, in this collection of verses, Jesus says, this is, this is the string of Jesus' words, you have little faith, peace be still. That's not just a word for the sea. John Wesley says this, if you want to put up that slide for me. He says this, First, he composed their spirits, and then the sea. Isn't that good? John Wesley, you should, you should, like, you should plant some churches or something. The Methodist church. First, he composed their spirits, and then the sea. Wow. Peace be still. It worked on the water, but it also works on us. Hey, hey, Peter, peace be still. Hey, Andrew, peace be still. Hey, John, peace be still. See, in ancient Israel, the sea was synonymous with darkness and chaos and a certain type of wildness that could not be tamed. So when Jesus does this, like I know we, we, we look at that and we say, I, I don't know if you're like me, I look at that and I say like, you ever rank his miracles? You shouldn't do that. Don't do that. But you ever do that? <laughs> right, like raising someone from the dead. What? Calming a steep. See, like cool, but like dead sea. Oh, dead sea. I didn't mean to do that. Casey, stop looking at me. You're doing that. But I kind of like I kind of ranked that. But if, if you were to if you were in ancient Israel, like this would have been something that was crazy. He said those words, and a storm just stopped. This was a new level of power for the disciples to witness. And that's why they said, who is this guy that even, even the wind and the seas obey him? It was a new level of faith that he was bringing them into. It says a great calm. A great calm came over the sea. That equals instantly the winds stopped and the seven-foot waves became glass. That's crazy. He did that with peace be still. See, here's the deal. Your faith grows tremendously when Jesus works in your life. It grows tremendously when, when Jesus works in your life. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You, you overcome by the word of your testimony. It's, it's meant to be experienced. When Jesus begins to work in your life, you grow tremendously. But you have to give him a chance to do so. You have to give him a chance to do so. You have to give him a chance through prayer. 
You have to give them a, give them a chance through scripture. You have to give them a chance through accountability, through small group, through good Christian counseling and therapy. You have to give them a chance to begin working those things out. Which appeared to be more powerful, the storm or sleeping Jesus? For the disciples, it was the storm. For us, it's often the storm. When the storms of life hit, they almost always appear to us more powerful than God's word. Isn't, isn't that true? Like initially, like, I don't know, for me and my, like, I, I, have, I always have to remind myself. Like, oh, well, usually it's Lene reminding me. But like, oh my goodness, like, hey, let's take, a, let's take a minute here. Let's say some prayers here. Let's have a moment to let Jesus start to transform our minds here. Because the storm is big and scary and in your face and it brings despair and it brings chaos and it is wild. But Jesus is still on the boat. He's still on the throne. He's still moving and working. And there are quite a few different outlets through which he can move and work. Luke 17.5 and Matthew 17.20, they talk about faith like a mustard seed. And I think this is, the, like, it, this is a great way to think about faith, mainly because Jesus said it, but also because it makes so much sense. The seed is small, but it has great potential, and it will grow over time. And that's exactly what we see happening with the disciples. Jesus plants faith, and it begins to grow and grow and grow. But you know what? Faith doesn't grow unless you're willing to be rebuked. Why? I don't want to be rebuked, Jared. Like, that is unpleasant. The rebuke is bringing truth. Maybe that, like, rebuke word is just, like, loaded. Like, maybe, is that, is that a triggering word for anybody? Like, maybe you've been rebuked poorly in the past. In the name of Jesus, but ain't nobody signed, like, it was not Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, but the rebuke is bringing truth to the situation. And that truth has grace attached. And it loves and it propels and it moves us forward where we need to go so that the faith can begin to grow. See, fear, fear isn't bad because it makes us look weak. That's not why fear is bad. That's not why Jesus speaks to the fear. It's not like, ah, guys, you get, uh, me, you're, y'all look dumb. Don't let nobody else see you like this. They're going to think I am a false prophet. That's not why Jesus rebuked them. See, the opposite of fear, it's not necessarily courage or conquest. 2 Timothy 1.7 gives us a much clearer view of what the opposite of fear is. 
This is a, I'm sure this is a verse that you may have used with your kids or maybe your parents said it to you or it's one that you're very familiar with. We say, we say it with my kids all the time. But in 2 Timothy 1.7, I have not given you a spirit of fear to shrink back, but one of power, love, and a sound mind. And Jesus, not Jesus, sorry, Paul, Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, who is a young leader in a church, who many are looking down on him because he's young. I like to envision him as short as well. <laughs> but he's telling them, he says, listen, he says, listen, you don't shrink back. Like God didn't give you that. He didn't give you a spirit to shrink back. He gave you one of power, love, and a sound mind. But the power is not a power of conquest or a power to overtake the situation. It's not a power of getting better at arguing or making sure that you're rooted more firmly in theology so that you can call out them false prophets one by one. That's a good thing. Like you should, you should know uh, like theology, but it's the power of the presence of God. And no, nowhere else than, than right here in this, these verses does it show the power of Jesus is the peace of Jesus. You have something that's countercultural, that's so different from the way that the world operates, go into your job and have the power of peace with you. Like in that board meeting, with that one guy, you know the one guy, he's just like lighting it up and just telling you about how oh, all the things are wrong and bad and it's your fault. But you come in with the power of peace in that situation. And not only does that help the situation, but that brings the spirit into the situation. Jesus redefines what power is. He really does. It's the power of the Holy Spirit rooted in peace. But fear also, this is what fear does, fear isolates and it forgets love. Love reaches out, fear pulls in. It's self-preservation. It's the fight or flight, right? Like, like fear is, is looking inside and listen, like, like I'm not saying like just, just love and you, you're not going to have fear. I'm not saying that. This is a complicated issue that Jesus will help you work on and through and counseling can help you work on and through and therapy can help you work on through and prayer and scripture and all of it. It's all of it. But love reaches out because fear isolates. One of the big ones is that fear takes away a sound mind. Power and love and a sound mind. It takes away a sound mind. We don't think clearly when we're fearful. Our minds start running. And if I'm honest, some of the most deepest irrational thoughts happen in my life because I'm scared. Because I'm scared. But we have power, love, and a sound mind. And if we're not afraid of a rebuke, and if we're willing to take correction, 
and we're willing to walk the process. And if we're willing to let those emotions that come up, that, that anxiety, that worry, that fear, if we're willing to let those things move us in to love and peace in the presence of Jesus, and I'm not saying that that's easy because that can be very difficult, but it's very good. Y'all can come back. Come on out. Maybe, maybe you've heard this story and you're listening to this and you're like, oh, yeah, I relate fully to the story of the storm. Because that's like right where I am. I got in a boat. It was a familiar boat. I knew the boat. It was a good boat. But then a storm kicked up and my confidence in the familiar slid into a new terror and now like I find myself in this place of despair. That's where I find myself. We have an opportunity to bring that to Jesus every time we feel it. To be willing to hear from Jesus. He says, hey, 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 Jared. Hey, you're, shrink, you're shrinking back. You're pulling in when I need you to reach out to me. I need you to reach out to others. And I, and, and I, and I, need, you to, I need you to spend some time with me. And, and I need you... I need you to feel my love and my presence. And, and yeah, you've got little faith there, but peace be still to the little faith, to the worry, the fear, and anxiety in your heart and in your life and in your mind. I'm still in the boat. He's still in the boat. Or maybe you, you hear this these verses in this message and you're like, um, I, I'm not very good with correction, so I avoid it. Just do. I don't want to look like I'm less than. But I also may have an issue with pride, but I'd never admit it. Maybe that's where you're at. This exchange between the disciples and Jesus is not something to be overlooked. It's not something for us to see and, oh man, them, them, them silly disciples are at it again. There is a deep beauty in what happens. The words that are exchanged and the moment that takes place. And that is not just 2,000 some odd years ago on the Sea of Galilee that is for right here and right now that you may be in a wicked storm. But you need this moment where Jesus can build your faith. 
So we're gonna we're gonna step into a song that is it's really beautiful. But we're gonna also open up the altars if you'd like to come, slip your mask on and come on up. If, if you'd like to come pray for somebody, please the same same deal. Slip on your mask and come pray for them. That would be amazing. Or if you just need to sit there in your seat and just let this song minister to you. Because I know, here's here's the thing, I know. I know that when we start talking about fear and anxiety and worry and, and like lack of faith, that, that it often brings up fear and anxiety and worry. And we start judging ourselves harshly. But I just wanna I just wanna say like that is not that's not Jesus. That's not what he wants to do. That's not what he ever wants to do. He wants to call you forward with truth but he wants to give you his grace as well. He wants you to feel his love and experience his love and walk in his love and be transformed by his love. There's no judgment from Jesus on that. This is also a a safe place for everybody that's here. And people will not judge you if you come forward for prayer and you say, like, hey, that's me, they won't judge you. They'll pray for you. And if they do judge you, then they need to be prayed for. Don't be afraid of the rebuke. It's beautiful. Don't shy away from the correction. It's needed. And it's loving. And Jesus, in the middle of a storm, is still in the boat, still has the same power, still is the same person. He still speaks to the wind and the waves, to the storm of whatever's going on, and he begins to move and work in the midst of that. So Jesus we thank you so much for who you are, for what you do and for how you do it. And we thank you for the conversation that you had with your disciples. And we also thank you for the, we thank you for the example that we have of the disciples. And help us not to just overlook that example and just say, ah, That's exactly what not to do when actually it may be what we should do, that we have this conversation in our mind that like we know we're in despair, but we don't bring it to Jesus because we fear the rebuke. When they weren't scared, they took it to you and you calmed the storm and you built their faith so that at the end of it all, at the end of that moment, the disciples were able to say, oh my goodness, who is this guy? How could, how could he even have power over that? How could he even move like that or do that? He wants to, Jesus, you want to build our faith today. You want to build our faith today. Jesus, I pray for anybody in here that is struggling. They're struggling with faith. Lord, that you would minister to them. Or Lord, they're struggling with fear. Or they're struggling with anxiety. Or they're struggling with depression. Lord, that you would minister to them today. 
And not just today, but it would be a continual ministering. You would continue to do it and continue to do it and continue to do it. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we put our faith in you. We just say, man, do what only you can do. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Please join us online at heritagefellowship.us or in person in Jefferson City, Tennessee as we encounter God, touch lives, and impact nations.